mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamant. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Robert? Today, Russell, I am feeling ruminative. Sorry? Uh, yes, I am. I'm feeling <laughs> ruminative. I am in deep thought. And I was listening earlier to Joni Mitchell's Both Sides Now. And it got me thinking about the idea that, because she's talking about how she sees clouds from both sides, sides now, now, and how she thinks she knew the clouds, but she didn't quite know them. And it got me thinking about how in popular culture and in society, we often like to pin people down and we like to think we know what someone's talent is or, or what they mean to us. And often that is just one thing, which you and I have been railing against ever since we started Talk Up, because oh, just yeah. like yourself, you're an actor who loves art. You know, I'm an ex-musician who became a gallerist. Like we, 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 we like people who think outside the box. And they switch who, lanes. We're like people of switching lanes. Exactly. And I also just think to be really great at one thing, you actually have to have interest in loads of other things. And today's guest is an extraordinary iconic actor and I mean everybody listening to today will, will, will know his work of course but his role as James Bond was obviously one of the highlights of his career but I always remember when I saw the first film he did how brooding the performance was and there was this kind of like emotional depth that felt new to Bond and I think that definitely has been informed by his personal life and also his passion for art which is just so exciting and it's a side to him that I wasn't aware of and I'm sure a lot of the listeners aren't aware of. So I just think it's a good thing to keep an open mind and to realise that people can have many talents, not just one. So we would like to welcome to Talk Art, Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> Thank Hi, you, guys. <laughs> Hi, Robert. Hello, Russell. Hello, everyone out there. Hello. Well, it's lovely to Where be... are you in the world, Pierce? Uh, I'm, I'm sitting here at my kitchen table um, on the island of Kauai. And uh, this is where we've been living for a number of years, and now it's become our mainstay in life. But it's a very brooding kind of rheumative morning of weather here, too. We've got a, a huge front coming in. So uh, you might hear some claps of thunder. You might hear the chickens nice. in the background here. I just fed all my chickens Getting this morning. And uh, that's where you find me. Well, it's really good to talk to you guys. You, you, you do wonderful work. I've enjoyed many of your podcasts. So thank you for oh, having me on the show. Of course. Well, we, we love your work. So this sort of weather that's coming in, is that kind of inspiring to you? Because have you set up a studio where you are living now? You must have done. Oh, I have a studio here, yes. Uh, that, this house is very small. Uh, it's a three-bedroom cottage, really. and uh, But it sits right on the water's edge. And down at the back of the land... Mm -hmm. um, there's a yurt, and that has been my studio for a number of years. But it gets very hot painting in a yurt. So I've rented uh, the neighbor's uh, house next door. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful uh, space for the work. And uh, I'm working on larger pieces now, 65 by 54. 
So th- th- those are very oh, wow. big. And so I, I have about uh, four of those canvases up. And um, it's a glorious space. And there's about you know six pieces that I'm working on at the same time. Uh, I'm not sure what that says about me. I think wow. it's attention deficit probably. Uh, so... But they, they all interact yeah. with each other. These paintings, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, it, it's been well, let's a- talk about that because a lot of people wouldn't know that you are a visual artist, that you 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 paint. But you've said yourself that you've painted for years, but the last few years you've taken it really seriously. But you started painting in 1987. Is that right? I did. That's when it really, really kicked in. I mean, I left school. At, at, 17 with with nothing really but a a kind of qualification in English and art uh, and a cardboard folder that I made uh, to house my paintings and drawings and and went to seek employment as a 17 year old and you know I I wanted to be an artist uh, knowing that I really didn't have the kind of academic background but uh, luckily I had good fortune and I found a job at a small studio in Putney called Ravenna Studios. And uh, yes, I was one of four other artists. I basically made the tea and drew straight lines and watered the spider plants uh, and thus started my kind of artistic life, as it were. But, uh, you know, about three, four years in, I discovered acting and acting took over my life. And uh, you know, I went off to the drama center, Chalk Farm there, the old drama center, and studied. And uh, had you know, I've been employed ever since I left drama school in '76. And then I went to America, and uh, in '82, and for the first time, I had you know, money in my pocket, and I went out and I bought myself paints and easels, and um, they just went into a cupboard. And they remained there until 1987. You started in commercial illustration, right? Is that your, yes, your route in? It, and you came from Ireland to to the UK. Yes, I left Ireland in 1964 as a young lad. Um, hopped on a plane there with my little cardboard suitcase. And anyway, I left Ireland in '64, and uh, I was 11 years of age. And then I left England when I was 26 for America. And uh, America's been my home ever since. Uh, I, I, uh, I left school, as I said, at 17 with really nothing more than a cardboard folder of drawings and paintings. And the, that simple brown cardboard folder of paintings and artwork uh, was my kind of passport out to this life, really, as an artist, as a painter, as, a, as an actor. Uh, I, I went down Fleet Street and was kind of shown the door promptly by various people who looked at my work with a kind of jaded eye. But then I found this wonderful studio in Putney, South London, called Ravenna Studios. And uh, they gave me a job. It was 10 pounds a week. And basically, I, I watered the spider plants, drew straight lines, and made cups of tea, and did some paste-up work. <laughs> uh, and then I, I, I discovered acting. I, I went to the Oval House Theatre one night down there in uh, Kennington, started doing workshops, and thus uh, the career as an actor began. But but the art kept a, a mild continuity within my life, but... Um, 
I eventually came to America. I came out here in 82 uh, doing a TV series called Remington Steel. So I was making money. I bought myself art supplies, mm. canvases and easels and paints. And they just sat in a cupboard uh, languishing. And then my late wife, Cassie, God bless her, she, she, she got sick with, with cancer. And I think it was around 87. She was diagnosed in 86, 87. One night, I, it just, the, the fear and the, the anguish of, of dealing with such a disease, you know, kept me awake. And I got the paints out and I set up the easel and I started painting. And uh, I, I started painting with my hands, actually. And those two pieces, mm. uh, seminal pieces, which I still have. And um, then I got a little bit uh, more form to the work and composition to the work. But the practice started really in 87, and it's been co consistent since. And that first painting, Dark Knight, um, that you painted with your hands, like you say, it is a really seminal work for you in the sense that the, the use of colour and also there's a kind of uh, soul to, to the work, which is obviously because of the psychological, you know, time you were having at, at that point, I guess, the emotional side of it. But I feel like art for you has been this kind of therapy or something. Like you, you really feel that authentic, you know, representation of your, your interior world in your paintings, I think. It really, it really has become a very much a, a meditation and a therapy. Uh, when I look at the work that I'm doing now, of these large pieces on canvases, which are 64 by 54, uh, what I've done is that they come from a collection of drawings, phone call drawings. So mm -hmm. when I'm on the phone having meetings, I have a pen and paper with me. Uh, and these drawings materialize and what I've done is taken the drawings and blown them up on canvases and now I'm painting into them so they they're, they're strange elliptical pieces but they have a certain kind of lyricism to them absolutely and then you know I, I when I go on uh, tour I'm working on movies I always set up a studio wherever I am in the world and I, I have collections of work from various movies. And uh, it works hand in hand with being an actor and it alleviates some of the, the stresses and strains of being an actor. Yeah. You, you live in your own kind of solitude as a painter. And uh, you actually s somewhat live in your own solitude as an actor too because you're always preparing the work and you have an interior dialogue going on. But uh, the painting has, has become more pronounced as the years have rolled on. Yeah. So prior to becoming an actor, you fundamentally wanted to be an artist. You started in commercial art. At one point, you worked in Harrods, which I want to ask you about. But that was a career path that you were, you were completely channeling. You came from Ireland to London to pursue being an artist, right? I did. I did. As I say, you know, I... I really had, had nothing but the art to keep me alive, uh, to give me some motivation. Uh, and How did you find it as a kid? How did I, art come into your life? Well, I didn't have it as a young boy in Ireland growing up. It was never there. It, there was, uh, it, it wasn't until I was a teenager really living in London um, 
and going to Putney Comprehensive School, which was was a which was a, a kind of a wild and woolly place back then in the sixties. Uh, you know, it was every man for himself, and uh, the art really sustained me and nourished me. Uh, I would have loved to have gone to Chelsea Art School or to Slade, but again, I, I my shortcomings were that I didn't have the qualifications. So I was behind the eight ball. So when when you're in that situation, you know you you have to uh, you hold on to what you have with a strong a strong conviction. And I wanted to, you know, I dreamt of doing album covers and advertising, but like I say, the acting came out of left field, and uh, I, I just flourished with that. What was you doing at Harrods? What, what was the job there? Well, I was at drama school. I was at the drama center and you, you know, you had to get, I was on a scholarship. So I had to find work during the summer. And uh, this was actually Christmas time. And I, I worked down in the packing department, wrapping Christmas presents. Did you? Yeah, I thought I've got, I've got written here that you did line and wash drawings. I thought you were doing like window displays or something. No, no, heavens. No, no, no. I, no, no. I, I was just a, a schlepper down in the, in the, the bowels of Harrods. <laughs> Although right, wrapping all. presents is a fine art in itself, oh, something that I've never mastered. But didn't you actually study at Central <laughs> St. Martin's as well? Because I was like really surprised to see that on your CV for some reason. No, I didn't study at St. Oh, Martin's. Didn't. The drama centre was, was uh, uh, the drama centre is now at St. Martin's. So I think there ah. might have been some confusion there. I have no right. formal art training whatsoever. So you're technically uh, it, like it self-taught is, then? You're a self-taught artist? I am. I am a self-taught artist. And, yeah. um, but what I love about your style, Piers, is that there's so much of, of lots of artists that kind of come and go into your, your paintings when people look online now and see your work if they've not come across it before. But, but there's so many elements that you yourself have poured over and obsessed over with books on Matisse and Picasso. I've read that you've, you went out and you just devoured all the information you could to find out what great art was and what great artists were doing. Well, again, it goes hand in hand with my my life as an actor. I'm constantly on the road. And so that existence can be quite solitary as well. And so you find yourself, and luckily I find myself in, in magnificent cities all around the world. And as I say, the first thing I do when I get to a hotel or an apartment or a house is set up a studio and consequently then go and find the local artists or find the museums. So my education is, is always ongoing. And the influence of Matisse, Kandinsky, Chagall, uh, you know, and everything leads back to Picasso for me too. Yeah. But uh, I've allowed that to, to kind of influence my own work. And, uh, you know, the... The piece that I celebrated here recently, this uh, silk screen print of earplugs that was made at Leavesden Studios when I was yes. doing GoldenEye. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, that just became a, again, a meditation for me, making a movie on that scale for six months. You know, there are maybe weeks that go by where you don't have any scenes you're just doing action scenes and so the painting was 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 a great uh, meditation and comfort for me and 
out of it came earplugs. Uh, you know, I'd long admired Roy Lichtenstein's ability to organize a graphic element um, mm. into a painting and to 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 amplify the the mundane into this kind of bedazzling image. And so we had these, you would be given earplugs most days when you'd have an action sequence and you, on the back was a, was a graphic illustration of how to put the earplugs into your ear. And I just found the, the infographic of that to be intriguing, you know, amusing, engaging. And I, and I just kind of wanted to see if the, composition would work as a painting so that's how earplugs came about and um but was that a studio did you have a studio next door to the movie set would you like between scenes would you go and start working on paintings and and this this infographic that you created into a work of your own uh, well no i had a dressing room it was a very wonderful large old office room yeah uh, leaves in studios they used to build it was a rolls royce factory and during the Second World War, they used it uh, to manufacture planes as well. So uh, I had a, a lovely dressing room, and it was very spacious, and it had north-facing light windows. Uh, and that's where I set up my, my easel. Uh, and two paintings came out of that period of six months, and earplugs is the one that uh, I set sail with in these last few months to yeah. kind of yeah why did you choose that one and out of all, all of your paintings from your your kind of career why was it earplugs the one that you really decided to release as this edition now which is a, a hundred silk screen edition that you've just brought out i think it i, I, I it, it comes with uh, many tones of story uh there's james bond there's me as a painter there's the the relationship to, to Roy Lichtenstein's work mm. uh, and I thought it was all-encompassing as a formal piece to set on the stage as it were and I, I, I it just seemed to work yeah right. it seemed to have its own life force uh, is it exciting and, turning a painting into an addition it was very exciting. Yeah. Yes, yes. I, uh, I I received the print there about uh, six weeks ago, and <clears throat> opening up the artwork and seeing it for the first time was exhilarating. Uh, this wonderful studio in, in Los Angeles uh, called Ranch Studios. They worked on the piece, mm. and I'm working with uh, an LA-based gallery called Seasons. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, to, to put out this limited edition. So it, it, it will be the first of, I hope, many. And uh, looking at my work now, I I look at it and I would like to move into ceramics. Oh, yeah, great. Uh, I've, I've taken a portrait of Keeley that I did many years ago, and we've uh, developed it. We've taken that and uh, made it into a vase. Oh, wow. Um, so that's... That's a possibility. There's abstracts, abstract shapes in my work, which yeah. I would like to... Can I make a suggestion for one? Yes. That I love yeah. from 1994, the Irish Rothko, which I think is an incredible work. Thank and you. And you need to make that into an edition. 
<laughs> the Irish rascal. Oh, cheers. Yeah, that's uh, well, the bull in that was painted when I was making the movie The Matador. And two pieces of work came out of that. Uh, one is a self portrait of me as Julian Noble, mm. who is the main character in The Matador. And, uh, and the other one was the bull. And the, the bull sits by itself on a canvas, unfinished. Uh, and so I was playing around on the laptop mm -hmm. and Rothko's painting, uh, I can't remember what it's called, just intrigued me. And I put the image of the bull on top of the Rothko. Mm -hmm. and it became Rothko's bull. I love, it. I love it. They're so autobiographical, your works then. And it feels like they really correlate between and reference your acting there's there's like an absolute unity between your creative output as an artist and your creative output as an actor well thank you for saying so yes i mean they're, they're all biographical and i i the work comes from its own emotional kind of landscape of where I am in life, yeah. but very much so with, with the work as an actor. Uh, and I've tried plain air painting here. I live in Hawaii and it's very beautiful. And I go out with a, a good friend who's become a, a mentor and I try my hand at plain air painting, but I, I fail miserably. I love the studio work. Uh, my drawings, uh, I, have many sketchbooks now and i draw constantly every day wow uh, how often I, are you in the I, studio you're in the studio every day as well i go to the studio every day if just to make a cup of tea and clean the brushes or sweep the floor and just sit and look at them <laughs> and before you know and I, I i try to i give myself 30 minutes uh, and then of course you know the morning disappears into the afternoon and you know you can stand back and look at some advancement of the work uh, but especially now in this in this time of covid it's become necessary for me to to alleviate the stresses and strains of of this world yeah. we find ourselves in and the painting in the studio really helps that i'm not sure when i'll get back to work as an actor i have two films lined up for this year uh, but um, I, I'm not sure. They keep getting pushed back. Yeah. So in the meantime, I've been working on working on my it's so good. practice. It's so good that you I, have that other outlet. What do you mean you give yourself 30 minutes, though? You give yourself 30 minutes contemplation or 30 minutes practice? <laughs> no. A friend of mine said, just go in and just do 30 minutes. Just give yourself 30 minutes. Because sometimes it's, it's hard to go to the studio. And I, oh, okay. So this I'm is not, so you go I, daily, I, I, right. Yeah, just so you go in and do something, show up. And just sitting with the work can can enliven you and inform you. And just by making a mark, by starting somewhere into a painting. I've I've brought paintings from LA down here to, to the island and uh you know about 26 canvases that are unfinished. Mm. So I'm working on those and then I've developed these phone call drawings into paintings. And uh, so, yes, it's, uh, it's become a, a more meaningful and more meaningful reality 
to me this this life of being a painter or wanting to be a painter mm. uh, it's it, you know sir anthony hopkins says it takes 20 years to make an actor and uh, he he's not far off the mark but he was great from the start but you know to to have creative life artistic life it, it's it's all in the doing you have yeah. to do it you can talk about acting but then you have to do it you can talk about painting but then you have to make a mark on the mm. on the page on the canvas is it a different feeling of creativity between acting and and painting for you well being a painter is it's very solitary mm. it's it's you the the brush the canvas being an actor you it's a collaboration you both deal with the imagination and dealing with an emotional you want to have an emotional impact mm. you 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 try to be an unexpected surprise certainly as an actor uh, and you know with the painting I, I i want to make work that pleases me first and foremost mm. and then hopefully will have some presence on the wall and maybe have some power on the wall and something that is decorative i love matisse's terms for it you want you want work that's pleasing mm. uh as an actor i wanted to be you know i was trained in the method and very heavy preparations but i i wanted my work to to reach many people i wanted to be a commercial actor like i want to be a commercial painter mm, you uh, do right and 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 to 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 sell work and that's, that's not that it's not about the money but you know the 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 earplugs piece that we're just releasing we're doing that in association with a uh, a wonderful organization called a sense of home yes. which uh enables young men and women who at the age of 18 are leaving the foster care system and so the proceeds from the work will go towards a sense of home and i think that's a that's a continuity of work and art and engaging with young people's lives that I hope goes on. And actually, it's quite interesting to think of your career with you traveling around the world all the time being this kind of itinerant, you know, um, actor. But the way that art and the studio has become this kind of home that travels with you, both in the soulful sense, but also in a literal sense, in the fact mm. that you have somewhere to return to. But I was really interested in that connection to charity as well, because I know that you've you've given a lot of your life to activism um, as a kind of third career in a, in a sense, because you've, you've done so much for charities around the world. But there's a really amazing story that one of your paintings of Bob Dylan like raised an incredible amount of money for, for charity, for the Amfar AIDS um, charity at an Foundation, auction in yeah. 2018. I love that story. Can you speak a bit about that painting and that whole journey to that auction? And by the way, it sold for 1.2 million 1. to 4? some Ukrainian billionaire called Marina Acton. Wasn't it 1.4 million? Oh, maybe with a... It was 1.4. Oh, I'm so um, sorry. I'm so yeah, sorry. Not 2 million, though. <laughs> 200 grand, not 2 million. 0.2 million. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Well, it was... Uh, uh, my wife, Keely, uh, made a documentary called Poisoning Paradise. And uh, she was invited to the Cannes Film Festival. They heard that I was a painter, and they asked me to submit a, a painting. And I had this piece on the on, on, in the studio... It was of Bob Dylan. It's a portrait of Bob Dylan. And 
and I, I brought that along. She went off with her movie under her arm, and I went along with this portrait of Bob Dylan, and I thought I'll submit it for the charity of Amphar. And it was a big night in Cannes, and it was an exhilarating moment to walk onto the stage with the painting and to talk about the perniciousness of, of, of AIDS and what it has done to our society. And I said, this is my contribution to the evening. And it started at 30,000, which I thought was a huge amount of money. And uh, the bidding commenced and it came down at 1.4 million to Whoa, this uh, lady called Marina Acton, who loves my work. Uh, but again, it was, it was a kind of a win-win situation. I knew that the painting is good. Uh, it, it has a has a strong feel to it, and you know, James Bond, Bob Dylan, yeah. Pierce Brosnan, a painting. So it, it had a bit of oomph. Yeah, and it, it was it was a wonderful <laughs> and wonderful he, evening. And he's your hero, and Marina Acton. He's definitely he's one of my heroes. Yes, I mean, there's Bruce and there's David. So I've uh, I, I did a piece. A portrait of Fidel Castro, a yes. uh, couple of many years back, and that led me to the Bob Dylan, and so consequently, I've started one on David Bowie, John Lennon, and hopefully, I will have a collection of musicians that Amazing. are meaningful to me and a part of my history uh, as an actor. And Bob's seen it, right? Bob's seen this portrait you've done. I sent him one, yes. Did I you? Did. Uh, yes. Well, his son, Jacob, is a friend. And uh, so I, I gave one to Jacob and uh, said, maybe you could pass this along to your dad. And uh, I think he liked it very much. And, of course, Bob Dylan is a very fine artist, too. He's a wonderful yes, painter. Yes, that's right. Yes. And, uh, and uh, you know, there's a lot of us actors and musicians out there, as you so well know yourselves, who are you know, live a creative life um, as painters. Did Marina acquire any more of your paintings after that, or did she have works before? Uh, she she has a few a uh, few other pieces, which are Lithos and uh, Gicle. Uh, the Bob Dylan uh, was wonderful too because it introduced me to a. Uh, Edam Studios in Paris. Uh, I went down there and they did the lithograph of Bob Dylan for me. And uh, again, we were in Paris for a festival, film festival. Uh, I, I met a young artist, uh, Asian artist, and she's a wonderful line drawer. And she said, you should go along. Her name is Christelle. And she said, you should go along to Edam Studios and uh, it's it's one of the oldest studios in Paris. Chagall was there, Mondrian, wow. Picasso, and it's this kind of ancient medieval uh, factory. David Lynch is there. He 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 holds a studio there, and uh, they invited me along. And I went off that morning in a cab. I brought my sketch pads with me. And luckily I did, because when I got there, they had laid out all the limestone blocks, no various way. sizes with, with oils and pencils. 
And so I immediately went to work. <laughs> I thought I'll do this. I did a it was a self-portrait, a beautiful palm tree and a Buddha head uh, and a court jester. Uh, and they started turning out my work. And um, so they cool. consequently did the lithographs of the Bob Dylan. And so that it's been in you know, I'm a student. I'm a constant student and because <laughs> I'm self-taught, it's it's uh, there's a great liberation in that, but then it's there's a great struggle within it because, you know, especially with the painting, um, uh, blending the colors, the colors that work compositionally, the tones. Uh, there's there's a whole a- a area of vocabulary that I don't know about and mm. that I'm constantly exploring, and just bumping into the furniture as I go along. But I never give up on a painting. I try to finish every canvas as much as possible uh, mm-hmm. uh, to find to find some truth in it and find something that... And some of the, my pieces, you know, have maybe two or three paintings underneath it because I don't mm-hmm. like throwing away my canvases. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, the canvas finds its own, its, its own kind of humanity uh, mm-hmm. given time. And patience. Now, talking of um, of chairs, um, you mentioned that you'd, you'd shipped over paintings from Los Angeles, and one of my favourite paintings by you is called Malibu Chair, or, or Chair from Malibu, I think. But I, I, I really love the, the chair series that you've been working on. Can you speak a bit about those? Uh, the chairs... Uh, chairs have become the uh, most enjoyable aspect of uh, the work this last year. Uh, and the one that you like there, Robert, uh, Malibu chair, is a dining room chair that sits in the house. It's, it's, it's an old Spanish chair that I've sat in for many years. Um, the chair and the table I've sat at. And it has its own personality. Uh, and there's something, uh, something quite emotional about a chair when you look at it, the absence of a friend. Mm. Uh, um, they're like portraits, self-portraits in some some way, in the sense that um, I live with them, and they 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 you know they're functional, and there's just something kind of mysterious about them when you when you look at a chair and uh, the friend that was there or the people that have sat in that chair, so. Uh, I've got about uh, four of them so far. I'm looking at six to do six. Uh, I'm on the fourth. And the I don't know. There's, there's something kind of very comforting about drawing a chair. And, of course, one of the famous chairs is Vincent van Gogh's yes. chair. Uh, that's That's one that has always captivated me. And when I see it, it's there's something uh, I, I don't know, just uplifting. And Hockney felt the same way, and Hockney did his version of Van Gogh's chair. And uh, David Hockney is someone who uh, whose work I admire greatly. Um, so that's that's where I'm at with the, with the chair series mm-hmm. and. Uh, 
I'm, so I have the, the drawings, the phone call drawings, which are very big and a challenge. There's the chair drawings that are going at the same time. And <clears throat> I'm also doing King's Heads. Mm. <laughs> Last year, I, I, I made a movie of Cinderella uh, with Camilla Cabello, who's wonderful artist, singing artist, yeah. and becoming a fine young actress. So she played Cinderella. Uh, and Edna Menzel played the fairy godmother, the wicked stepmother, I should say. Billy Porter played the fairy godmother. Mm. I played the king. Yeah. Minnie Driver played the queen. Amazing. So here I am playing the king. <laughs> and I, in my scripts, I draw all the time. Oh. And I, I use my scripts as references. So I started doing, again, they're like self-portraits, the king, a crown, forlorn, abandoned, dejected, <clears throat> and this gallerist who, who lives close by, he said, I love the king's heads. You should do a series of those. So I've started, I've got about 10 of them, drawings, paintings, and uh, I'm also doing lino cuts. I, I like lino cutting mm. um, and my so own amazing. printing. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com So you're hoping to do a, a show, like a public show of this, or, or are you hoping to like sell them to collectors? Well, I, I was geared up to, at the end last year, to do a show. Um, and I found a space. Chuck Arnaldi uh, is a magnificent painter, California artist, mm. and yeah. someone who's, whose work I've admired since 1982 when I discovered him. And when I arrived in Los Angeles, uh, Almaraz, Carlos Almaraz, Chuck Arnaldi. So many, here we jumped many years later, and I realized that Chuck more or less lives down the road. They have a home around the corner from us here in Hawaii. Mm. And uh, he saw my work, and he said, I'd be happy to show your work at my studio. So last year, we were going towards that uh, occasion but the covid happened yeah and yeah. Uh, so that's been put on hold but yes at some point i would like to have a show of the work yeah so, so you don't do you find like paint your paintings quite private then or are you, are you excited to get critiqued on your work and have people see your what you've been doing <laughs> <laughs> well I'm, I'm 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 making tentative steps onto the the, the world of of art i mean 
you guys are the first guys I've ever spoken to about art. Oh, ever. that's amazing. So this is, not e- this is not an easy task for me <laughs> to do with, with you today. And, and, and the people you've had on your show are, are people that I really admire. Uh, so doing the work, painting the painting, making the lithograph is, is, is the joy. Then you have to talk about it. You know, <sighs> making the movies is my joy. I love making movies. I love being in the company of, 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 of actors. There's nothing more satisfying than feeling fulfilled at the end of a day and saying, I really nailed that scene. I've got it. Now I can put that piece with this piece. And you begin to build a character. <clears throat> and then you have to sell, you, know, you have to sell the movie. Mm. And that's where it becomes tough. Uh, and uh, as I'm finding out the vocabulary of being an artist and the, uh, how you discuss the work is, <laughs> to a layman like me, I, I can't quite find the words at times mm. why I do it or how I do it. But uh, I would like to show the work I think there's a body of work there that has an articulation and it has a autobiographical yes. stamp to it. Yeah, totally. And uh, I've been asked to do the memoirs and I struggle along with writing the memoirs. So I was thinking really of just making a book of, of the paintings from the show and then yeah. you'd have the painting and then you'd have just 500 words about your, your life at that time when you were making that painting. You have that on the website. You have your paintings on the website, and there's stories alongside them, yes. of them which are fascinating. I, I, the one I want to know about the one in 1989, the day the car got stolen. What happened the day there? The car got stolen. Uh, my late wife, Cassie, and my stepchildren, Christopher and Charlotte. Um, uh, sadly, I lost Cassie and Charlotte. Mm. They both lost their lives to, to ovarian cancer. Anyway, we, we went off to the countryside to see some friends, and we drove our little mini down to Rains Park to the station, hopped on the train, went to the country, and I took a photograph of Cassie, Charlotte, Christopher, and the dog, Albert. And I made a painting from that, and it's... Uh, that's the painting. That's the story of the painting. We actually, when we when we got back to Rains Park Station, our car had been stolen, so so we had to walk. We had to walk a good few miles oh, back because wow. we didn't have the, any money. Yeah, the autobiographical elements of all the paintings is just so amazing that I love this. They're real events in your life, and they correlate to movies. But they they're, it's such a personal mm. journey that you've been able to creatively um, fulfil through painting. Well, thank you. Yes, yes. I, I, I uh, they're all very personal, <clears throat> and again, my work has been. Uh, my late wife was a great supporter of my work, and my wife Keely, now of twenty-seven years, is is just so supportive of my practice as a painter. Mm and is inspiring and is a muse. So I, I've had these two great women in my life who've given me the, the kind of the courage, the strength and the fortitude to go on to, to try and be a painter, to be an artist. 
so I take uh, I take good uh, good heart in that. Um, Can we talk about uh, materials? Can we talk about because you you, you mm. talked about lithographs and we talked about the painting and the fact that the painting is still the element elements of painting still revealing itself to you constantly and you're trying to navigate your way through how to do that. What materials are important to you? as an artist like what easels do you use and brushes and acrylics and oils and what brands do you like to work with uh well i i i love acrylics uh golden acrylics uh i i love the the look of them the texture of them they mm-hmm. they apply themselves well uh I, I i get sometimes cheap brushes and sometimes i get very fancy brushes Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't have the greatest uh, discipline in cleaning them, uh, right. so it can get quite expensive. But uh, <laughs> this yeah. la- this p- past year, I have been much more uh, diligent in cleaning my brushes and taking care of the materials. Um, I, uh, easels, I can't remember the names of them, but I have these because I've got these large pieces now. I have two hand-cranked easels, which I enjoy very much. It's a bit like Frankenstein and the monster, you know, cranking up the canvas and uh, etc. cetera. Um, Lyra pencils, I use a lot of colored pencils and I travel with them. And Lyra make beautiful, rich, lustrous uh, uh, oil pencils. Uh, I haven't done pastels, I find that very difficult. Uh-huh. Pens. I, I I love good, uh, you know, pens that uh, I have a supply. Can't remember what they're called. Really, I just say, get <laughs> yeah. me more of those silver pens. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know what, Pierce? I find it so fascinating how free you are with your different disciplines, mm. and it seems you, you're so kind of bold and like brave in a way. And I think it's 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 quite unusual in in a way because some artists like focus very much on one thing. But I feel like even though you are making paintings and drawings and it is all linked, you do have this kind of freedom of approach to things. Like you mentioned lino cuts, which is a very specific thing. And ceramics. Know? And then silk screens and ceramics. Yeah. This kind of openness. And it's, it's even though I know that I've read in an interview with GQ, I think it was, you said something about not wanting to be sort of pinned down or, or kept to being um, in one place somehow with your work. But I, lo- I think there is something that bonds all of it and connects all of it in a very unique way, which is the, the colour palette. This kind of bold, bright, positive, hopeful, vital kind of colour palette, which if you think of uh, your hero, David Hockney, you definitely share a sensibility of colour, mm. which is also super unique. Is that something you were aware of, or is it just like an instinct you have with colour? Well, it goes back to 1987 when I woke up that night with a, a belly and a heart and a head full of pain and not knowing and dealing with cancer. And I went to the canvas. Anselm Kiefer is, a, is an artist that I yes. love, and he does very hard, dramatic work. And that's what I thought I was going to do. But the color came through. The color kept coming through, and I just let the color roar. Just, I just take off with color. And, uh, was that a surprise? It's good. It, it was a surprise. It was very much a surprise uh, that particular night when I did those first two pieces. And then I went back to more formal work and kind of tight and graphic work. 
you know, someone said to me there recently, you should play, do monochrome. I try monochrome, but it just, <laughs> it's so boring. <laughs> mm-hmm. I want color. I, 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 I want the clash of colors and I want the drama of colors. I love it. Wow. Uh, it's it's what really just makes my just gives me a great contentment. Yeah. So and I don't know. I guess I'm searching. I was going to say, do you still have dreams filled filled with abstract shapes that you did have as a child? I don't. It's interesting you should bring that up, and I don't know how I said it or where I said it, but uh, I do look at some of these abstract images that come through, and they do throw back to my childhood. For some reason, I dreamt in color as, as a young boy in Ireland, and uh, these large floating abstractions would enter my, my dream time. And I guess dream time is, you know, dream time art, this piece that's behind me here yeah. is a piece of dream time art, which I bought when I was on my first James Bond tour of duty selling golden eye i was in sydney and uh, i found this wonderful piece by a young aboriginal artist and uh, i love the dream time of it all i have a production company called irish dream time uh, oh, wow. and uh, this this painting is by an artist called kurin Warun, mm. and I lost his name. It's, it's about 25 years old, and it's been in this house for 20 years. And uh, because I've been doing a few podcasts, he came out of the woodwork, and uh, we've introduced ourselves oh. to each other. So, oh, wow. So it's been, it's been my backdrop for, for many, many of these uh, Zooms. <laughs> yeah. Are you a big collector? I, Do you collect a lot of art? I... I, I I have pieces from from artists that I've met. You know, Avi Kiriati is a wonderful artist. He hangs here in the house. He's a he's an island painter, uh, and they become friends. You know, when I go to different parts of the world, uh, I find the local artists. I find I'm introduced to artists. Uh, Mika Popovich, when I was in Belgrade many years ago. Stefan Chesney, who's a wonderful friend and an inspiration to me. He lives in Saint-Tropez, uh, and very much in the vein of Matisse. But uh, um, <clears throat> So I, I, I don't really collect that much. No. Uh, uh, all my paintings are in storage. And, right. you know, clearly my wife has been pushing me this last year or so to show the work to let it go yes and uh, so i i've i've set sail on having a show at some point mm. i'm so having some studio interviews next week oh great but also i read that in i read that in um 2018 when you sold that bob dylan painting you had something like 153 paintings you'd made so you're obviously is that true? Like, are you quite prolific and free in the amount of work you make? Because it's so exciting. I, I, that's a collection, though, of work that, that's there. It's amazing. Since 87. Cool. And some of them I've worked back into. And some of them just, some of them work, some of them don't. I think I would, if I have a show, I have a collection of about 25, 30 pieces. Amazing. 
Uh, I've, you know, there's a, a wonderful printer down in downtown LA that I've been doing a series of drawings with. Um, his name is Francesco Sucaris. And uh, when the Malibu fires happened, I had a number of portraits done that came out of that emotional turmoil. And uh, he's done some wonderful work for me. Wow. So, you know, and the, the larger pieces that I've got now, there's one called Fish Hook, which comes from the, the phone call drawings. Um, that, uh, that, that's a very beautiful piece. Uh, and it came out of the passing of my friend uh, back there last year from COVID, mm. talking to wow. his wife. And this drawing just popped up. So this this painting is called. It feels like they're so therapeutic. Your art feels so linked to you know mm. traumatic moments that have <laughs> happened that have, that have tested you. It feels like really you've you've had this medium to channel that into. It feels pretty important to you. It, it is now. It is at this you know time in life and. You know, 67 years have gone by with the speed of a flame and I've been an actor all my life and I've had good success and I'm still passionate for it. But uh, the work of being a painter, which was my first endeavor, my first big dream, is, is slowly being realized. And that's, you know, that comes with a great exhilaration and, you know, you're dealing with time, <laughs> time yeah. past, time present, time future. Uh, so what do you do with that time and how do you use it to the best of your advantage? So I'm exploring everything. I, I just met a, there's a wonderful wood carver here on Island. So he's setting so you're doing me wood up. wood carving as well now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wood carving. You're going to be a master wood carver next. I love this. I love your in- There is so no cool. limits to your talent. Yeah, you ha- and it you said just, you have studios all over the all over the place whenever you've worked. But I want to ask about one particular studio you held at Steven Spielberg's house. What was that like? How did that come about? Uh, well, we we have a home in Malibu, and uh, we had a fire at our house, and we had to find another place to live. And Steven Spielberg's house was one house over, and it was for rent, and we went in there. <laughs> And uh, it was as simple as that. They, Stephen doesn't live there anymore. He sold the house. Right. And uh, it, it, it wasn't even his house at the time. He had lived oh. there for a number of years. Oh, okay. And uh, so uh, I found myself there and I had a lovely studio. And I've, I've, I've got uh, four pieces of work that I made in that. I found a room and uh, I set up a studio. You know, and Amazing. studios can be just the kitchen table. It can be a corner of the room. But I have the luxury now, as I say, right next door to me here in Hawaii. I have this beautiful space. And I go in every day and say hello to them all and make a cup of tea and put on my apron and attempt to, you know, move the needle and uh, finish them. It's easy to start them. It's finishing the darn things. <laughs> Do you find it difficult to 
to sort of share them with the world? Because I, I almost feel like you don't somehow, because like your website's got, got a number of your works on there. And I was looking through them all and a few of the ones that touched me the most were like the most personal ones. So like the, the 1980s kind of very large painting of a drawing that a doctor did of, of cancer. And then I think you, you turned it into this very beautiful kind of bright coloured abstract painting. And also um, you mentioned the passing of your daughter and in 2013, the painting you did of yourself, I think, crying in Serbia. But like those paintings are just extraordinary mm. and they really touched me, like deeply touched me without, mm. you know, but before I knew what the stories were, they, they, they really speak to me, you know, and mm. I, I think that that's great art, you know what I mean? And did, was that difficult <coughs> for you to open up so personally like or, or is it is it okay because it's through the form of painting oh i think it's just being irish and confessional <laughs> too confessional <laughs> <laughs> so, so, giving it all away uh, yeah bless me father for i have sinned it's been <laughs> many years since i've been to confession oh. uh I, I don't know. No, not really. I mean, I haven't come to that point of putting them in, a, putting them up on a wall yet. I mean, I think right. that time will come. And the, the, the <laughs> but I'm strong enough, bold enough to go and do it. And Wonderful. if not now, when to to show the work? And I like the work. The work is has has power in my heart. And you know you can take your best shot and uh, yeah. i've already been you know had enough swipes taken at me as an actor you know you have to be tough as old boots to be an actor you know that russell yourself mm -hmm. it's it's a brutal game it's constant constructing and destroying uh to to create something uh, yeah. so uh but but thank you for for saying that robert it it, it means a lot and uh, that particular painting was uh yeah it was it was during the passing of my daughter uh to cancer and uh, so it, it has the blackbirds of mystery in it <laughs> i like the fact that you you like your own work so i read somewhere that someone said that if you like your own work that in itself is success if you appreciate yes. your own talent and you are incredibly talented 100 percent. so and we ask yeah. every guest that comes on to very uh, the same questions. And the first one is Pierce. And this is really good because this harks back to the Thomas Crown affair, which is yeah, one this, of our most, which is the reason we ask this ooh, question for yeah. everybody that comes Basically, on. I was obsessed with the 1999 version of the Thomas Crown affair, which you star same. in. And when we first started the podcast, I said to Russell, we're going to ask everyone what their art heist would be because that's my favorite movie. Yeah. Little did I know we'd actually one day be interviewed. <laughs> yeah. It's super. Oh. And if you Rene could Rousseau, do an art we heist. have to give her a shout out because yeah. I love Rene Russo so I love Rene Russo. It was her birthday, I think, a few days ago. And oh again, you know, one of the one of the great joys for me of doing James Bond was creating my own company, Irish Dreamtime, and uh, working with, sad to say, my late partner, Beaumarie St. Clair, whose life was also struck down by cancer, uh, unbelievably so. But we, we, we created a company, Irish Dreamtime, uh, on the heels of, my success with GoldenEye hmm. to make movies. And Bo Marie was from Malibu. She was a Malibu lady. And we both loved Steve McQueen. He was certainly one of my cinematic 
inspirations, him, Clint Eastwood. I'd go to those movies and I'd, you know, come out and hop on the bus back home and I'd be that character. I'd be that kind of movie star character in my head. <laughs> so I've always had that feeling of having the camera, which is kind of narcissistic and strange and mangled in some way that you're being observed. <laughs> but yeah. uh, over coffee one morning when we were working on our first movie, which is called The Nephew, uh, which is a beautiful little film set in Ireland. We started talking about Steve McQueen, and we said, what about doing a remake of The Thomas Crown Affair? And the studio bought it. Uh, they, MGM, they owned, it was on their shelf, so we were playing in the wheelhouse of the studio. And that movie couldn't have been a greater success for me and everyone in it, really. Uh, and as a as a as a painter in the making, I wanted to hit the Metropolitan Museum. the The studio wanted us to set set it in L.A. and hit the Guggenheim. I said no. I want to beat. I want to hit the Met. This is what I want to play. This is how I want to play it. And we hit the Met. And you know, Monet's haystacks. The repetition of the haystacks. The I, I found very intriguing, and I this man is a man who's wealthy beyond words, and for me it was a love story. And he didn't have love in his life. He didn't have that woman. He was he was adrift. He was rudderless, but extremely wealthy and with a very steel trap mind. And a bravado of wanting to mess with the system. So he steals a painting. Um, if I think I'd have to... I, I love the D'Orsay Museum in Paris. Mm. And mm. I, there's a hotel I stay in. And uh, the Plaza Athene. Uh, the Le Maurice Hotel. On mm. the Rue de Rivoli. And... Uh, when a, when a film is paying my way, they give me a nice room. And when I'm paying my own way, they give me this little suite at the top, a tiny room at the top. And it looks right across the Tuileries at the D'Orsay. And because uh, I've been asked, would we do another Thomas Crown? And I've always thought it would be great to hit the D'Orsay Museum. Yes. Those two clocks dealing with time. Awesome. And in there, there's a wonderful... Vincent van Gogh, self-portrait, which is a, which would fit easily in a suitcase, Amazing. just under your jacket so nicely. Love so it. They, there you go. That's a rambling so hang roundabout on. In the top, way of in the Thomas Crown affair. Was it your choice the painting that got stolen? Um, no, it wasn't. Uh, I just wanted to steal a painting from the Met, and I loved the Impressionists. Leslie Dixon, who wrote it, along with Kurt Wimmer. Uh, Leslie, I would have conversations with her about the love of his life, this woman. And then Kurt, would we would talk about how to strike and hit a museum and how to steal it, how the heist would go down. Uh, but it, it wasn't me saying, uh, you know, San Majorio. I didn't pick that. I think Leslie picked it. Um, mm. 
And then, of course, when we had this magnificent screenplay, uh, I gave it to John McTiernan. And John McTiernan was a friend. I, I was in his first movie when he left the AFI. There was a movie called Nomads with Leslie Ann Down. And so I thought that was going to be the start of my cinematic career, but <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> John McTiernan went on to be great John McTiernan. And I, I went on my own way and always, I've always worked as an actor. But uh, I came to him with the gift of Thomas Crown, and he said yes. And so the synchronicity of my wanting to be an artist, a painter, the, the love of Steve McQueen and the Thomas Crown affair, you know, I, Steve McQueen was, was kind of rough and ready, rough hewn, masculine player. And Thomas Crown was the first time he was ever really in a suit and dapper. And I, I know something about suit acting. Yes. Anyway, the, the, the Thomas Crown is definitely a, a jewel in the crown for me uh, as an actor and as a lover of art. And you know, once the studio signed off on the Metropolitan Museum of Art, it was full steam ahead. And we shot the movie in New York City. But the Metropolitan Museum of Art wouldn't let us in. They only allowed us to use the stairs, the steps outside. Oh, really? So when he steals the painting, you know, it's, well, when you look at the film, you'll see Thomas Crown going into the museum and then you'll see him coming down the stairs having stolen the painting. The mm. interior of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, uh, we built in Yonkers in a car showroom. <laughs> there was an abandoned car showroom in Yonkers and they built three galleries of the Met Museum. Ah. And I had the joy of watching the set being built. Uh, wow. And to absolutely the specifications of the three galleries, the color, the chair, and everything. So when you see the Metropolitan Museum of Art and you see Thomas Crown go walk through the galleries, <laughs> that was all in Yonkers. Wow. And then one of the other great uh, occasions was to see the art going up on the wall. And they were all printed and drawn, painted by this, um, this I've forgotten his name now, gosh. But they were all reproductions, Renoir's, Chagall's, Vincent van Gogh. Uh, did you take any cool. at the end? Because <laughs> I did. What did I you did. take? Uh, I, I, I took, uh, there's a Renoir, Mother and Child, there's a Gauguin, the Red Dog, there's a, uh, a beautiful Vincent van Gogh, which I have in the studio back in Malibu, of uh, autumn trees. And that's, uh, so, that's like cherry picking, like masterpieces. I'll have one of those, I'll have one of them. That's amazing. Well, you know, luckily my wife Keely said, we better get our hands on some of these. And because <laughs> the studio execs and a few other people, they, they, they got some major pieces too. Uh, no question. And, and, you know, it was just a joy to kind of have a lunch break and to see the lads, you know, the crew sitting there in the Met having their lunch <laughs> on set. 
in front so of funny. you know a Ranwa underneath a Monarch Monet or something. Amazing. That's an amazing story. We actually, um, the first song I ever recorded with my band, we actually used a sample of you guys talking and it was René Rousseau stirring a glass of tea or something and sort of telling you off because you guys had had a, like a romantic tiff. That's and right. she's kind of like, you know, doing this very cool kind of phrase to you. And we used that at the beginning of our, all our it. concerts. Yeah, oh, we how? sampled it at the beginning oh. of all our concerts for Tempo oh, nice. Shot, my band. Hilarious. Oh, nice. nice, excellent. Yeah, that's how much we loved the film anyway. The other question we ask, Pierce, is what is your favourite colour? Yellow. Yellow. I just, I mean, well, I, I don't know. There's just, there's, there's something harmonious about it. There's something that grabs me. I, there's a lot of yellow in my work. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I go to cadmium yellow a lot. Uh but there's there's one I'm doing now, the fish hook, which again is comes out of the, the phone call drawings. Uh, and this particular piece of work uh, is an homage to a friend that I lost last year, Jay Benedict, to COVID. He was uh, best man at my first wedding. We were good mates. We were in the West End together in a play by Franco, directed by Franco Seffarelli, wow. um, godfather to his two sons. And mm. uh, Jay left us. And the day I was talking to his wife, Phoebe, uh, again, I'm drawing as I'm talking, uh, this fish hook uh, piece came about. So I'm painting into that at the moment, uh, using pumice stone paint, heavy and uh, it's just light blues. It's all blues. So blue would be another great color. Yeah. But I do go to yellow very quickly, very easily. Yeah. Don't know wow. why. It's just joyful. It is. I've got, I've got one more thing I want to talk to you about because uh, I want to be a fanboy because you're in one of my favorite movies of all time, Mrs. Doubtfire. And uh, Robin was the reason I got into acting as a kid. And right. this is like an acting thing. As what, what was it like working with him, and what was he like, and how was that experience? Oh, uh, thank you. Well, I'm a huge fan too. This this man made me laugh like a drain. He just was magnificent. The irony is that I never really worked with Robert Williams. I only worked with Mrs. Doubtfire. That's true. <laughs> on, <yeah>. the, <laughs> <laughs> on the first day of, uh, I went up to San Francisco on a summer's day and gorgeous and they said do you want to meet robin he's in the makeup and hair and i said sure i'd love to and this was at the start of the film for me and i went in there to the makeup trail and there was robin sitting in the chair with this kind of aloha hawaiian shirt on cargo pants and ugg boots and his hairy arms and legs hanging out but he had the head of mrs doubtfire <laughs> so uh, I went in and there was Robin, but he was full, his head was made up completely like Mrs. Tapfire. And uh, he said, oh, Pierce, you're so lovely. Oh, you are handsome, Pierce. Oh, come here, give us a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's, how I met, that's how I met Robin. He was a glorious man to work with. He was inspired. He was very human, very easy to be with, very... Uh, just inspiring as an actor, very giving and free, 
So he created a wonderful ambiance on the set for everyone. Mm. And he had he, he, he played with heart, humanity, love, and you know, such mischievous ways and uh, a quicksilver mind. And uh, he, he, was, uh, he was much loved, you know, by all making yes. the movie. And the, the film again, you know, if I didn't do anything else, I, I did Mrs. Doubtfire and the Thomas Crown Affair and Goldeneye, you know. So there's there's a few of them. And as an actor, you want to, you know, hopefully you can look back and you can say, well, I, I you know, I, I, I made a mark there. I, I did something that can live on. <clears throat> and I think that's mm-hmm. probably the spirit of artistic life that you have some kind of immortality that you create a movie that will be looked at and admired and cherished long after your day is done or a mm. piece of art that will be passed down or passed along that will have some transformation in people's lives. You know, it's, 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 uh, <clears throat> living and dying. <laughs> uh, mm. Yes. Uh, so that, that's, Oh my God! It's heaven. Thank you so it much. It's heaven. Thank it's you for sharing that. It's such a privilege to spend this. Oh, it's um, amazing. Spend this time with you. It's been honestly. And you know what? You were my dad's favorite James Bond, and he passed away in 2015. And I thought tonight, before we started recording, like I just thought, how amazing that we're like talking with you. So, um, yeah, love from my dad to you because he he thought you were the best. <laughs> um, and it's very cool having James Bond on talk. Yeah, James I mean, Bond on talk. It's like, we do, never you, do you get called this. Bond like, you know, all presidents are always still Mr. President? I get called Mr. Bond, yes. You know, you, I mean, once you enter into that mansion, you know you're going to live with it for the rest of your life. And uh, so, you, you, you know, to be handed the keys to such a, such a proscenium arch and such an icon, iconic character is a huge responsibility and daunting at the best of times but exhilarating and the gift that keeps giving so uh, you know he has allowed me to create a life for myself and my family and uh, has given me some longevity on the stage so I, I, I respect that and hold that dearly so if if that's all I'm known for then so be it. <laughs> uh, just. Well, I think your art speaks for itself now. I think so many people yes. have discovered your art practice now, and I cannot wait for your exhibition and for more people to discover yeah. your work. And everyone should look at this edition earplugs, the silk screen that's out now. Yeah, you can see it at Seasons Gallery, and they're at seasons.la, which is their website. And also, you can visit piercebrosnan.com. And Pierce is also on Instagram, like we are, and we'll be sharing images of all of your works that we've discussed oh. in today's episode. And thank you, Piers, for your generosity, because I think your art is a really generous act in itself. And I think it's really rare for people to be that brave to kind of, you know, experiment in different materials yeah. and, you know, and to put yourself out there. I mean, big respect to you for thank that you. too. So you can go to at Piers Brosnan official and uh, follow Piers there as well. So yeah, we'll be back very soon. Thank, thank you, you for listening and thank you so much for Thanks, this Pierce. wonderful interview. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Russell. All the best. Stay well, stay happy, be bold. <laughs> we will, we will. Thank you. All right, we'll stick around, Pierce, because we've got Take a... Care. We'll have a chat yeah. afterwards, but thank you very much. Cheers, okay. everyone. Okay. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Cheers, everyone. Bye-bye.
You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.